I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Mars Attacks podcast. Uh, I am Victor, and on the other end of the line, we have Richie from Focus on Metal. Uh, Richie, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Victor. Uh, Thanks for having me back. It is always uh, great to have you on. Um, Since St. Patrick's Day is coming up, and you are Irish, I wanted to do a special for St. Patrick's Day where we discussed uh, five Irish bands that aren't Thin Lizzy. So um, this has actually been something that I've wanted to talk to you about for a very long time because obviously, you know, uh, much like... um, much like the opposite, you know, when when a band gets played on the radio, most of the time you hear the quote unquote hits and casual fans or people that don't listen to anything beyond the radio uh, don't know some of the, you know, d- deeper cuts and, and whatnot. So um, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, coming from Ireland, becoming a, a metalhead um in Ireland and talk about some of the bands that, you know, that you were privy to that a lot of other people probably weren't unless they were from, you know, the same area. Mm, mm. Sure. So where do you want to start, Victor? <laughs> well, hit, give me, hit the first, ask me a question. <laughs> sure. Um, as far as, you know, you getting in into music, um, what was the you know the first band that that got you into say this this type of music? Did it happen to be a a national act or was it somebody uh, you know was it a UK act or was it actually an American act that first got you turned on to uh, uh, hard rock or metal? Well, I grew up in a town called called Waterford in Southern Ireland. It has about fifty thousand people living in it. Okay, and when I was growing up, we had five channels on TV. <laughs> uh, two of them were Irish. Right. And the, the other three were from the UK. Right. And one one of the channels we had from the UK was BBC. Mm-hmm. And the big show on BBC at the time was Top of the Pops. I think right. it was probably one of the biggest, the biggest shows on TV. And that was on every Thursday night. I believe, if memory serves, at uh, at seven o'clock, and it was on for thirty minutes. Okay. So a, a lot of the music that I listened to was from Top of the Pops because the radio in Ireland tended to follow what was being played in the UK, and it was a lot of pop music. But the first heavy band that I remember hearing, I believe, was Status Quo. Okay. Uh, they used to be on top of the pops a lot. 
they're a band that are not really known that well in the US. Right. But if you go to Europe and you go to the, especially the UK, they're a national institution. Right. Um, I think they've got more top 40 hits than nearly any band ever Mm -hmm. in the UK. And the early to mid 80s, you had the mid 80s, of course, that was Live Aid. Right. And they they opened Live Aid and it resurrected Mm -hmm. their career. But I remember my father had a, a status quo album called 12 Gold Bars. Okay. And that had, it was was a greatest hits compilation. It had 12 of the songs from all their different albums that were, that were singles. And I remember he played that and I liked it. And then I remember I got into ZZ Top around the the time of Eliminator. Okay. Bear in mind, Victor, at this stage, I'm not a bona fide metalhead. I'm dabbling in all different (laughs) types of music from pop music to, to hard rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was definitely influenced by what was on top of the pops and Eliminator was big at the time. Uh, we didn't even have MTV then. Right. Uh, so it wasn't the videos that were selling me on a lot of these bands. And then, of course, you had Brian Adams with Reckless. That was a, that was big on top of the pops as well. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of friends of mine were a couple of years older than me. And they were they were into bands like Maiden. Okay. And Judas Priest, and I got into them, and then they had they were into bands like Rat and Motley Crue. So I went from the Europe, European scene, the English scene, to the American scene with with Motley and Rat and Dokken and Queensrÿche, and and then I started buying Kerrang, and and then I went down the rabbit hole, and I'm still down it <laughs> uh, over over, to, over thirty years later. But sure. The one thing you need to I need to break definitely say about radio back then when it comes to hard rock and metal they didn't play much of it mm-hmm. um, even the, 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 the bands that were big in the states multi-platinum acts in the early 80s like Quite Right and Motley they mm-hmm. weren't played on regular radio in England uh, what, you'd, what, you'd, what you'd hear would be uh, Bon Jovi Europe um that sort of stuff, uh, soft, soft rock, commercial rock. Right. Um, they'd never play Wasp. They'd never play and on the BBC radio, especially. There was only one guy called Tommy Vance who had a Friday night rock show. And he was really the only guy that played it, unless it was John Peel. But he was a law unto himself. Um, <laughs> he'd been a DJ for many years and he championed a lot of bands that he'd played. That he just liked them. Right, and he'd, if he if he liked them, he'd play the albums. But Tommy Vance would play the rock stuff, the stuff you wouldn't hear on the BBC otherwise. Mm-hmm. And of course, they put him on on Friday nights when a lot of people are probably out drinking and stuff. <laughs> like they kind of buried him on it, you know, yeah, like, yeah. on the channel. Like they never give him a prime time slot because that was that was for pop music and 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 the likes of stuff that was in magazines like Smash Hits. Mm-hmm. Like Kerrang, even though Kerrang became the biggest selling music magazine in the UK, they kind of did it. They did it under their own under their own steam. Mm-hmm. That they did it their own way. There was never really a machine behind them, right, to push them. And the, the metal scene in in the UK and Ireland in the eighties was was especially like that. So for me to find the bands, I had to go looking for them. Mm-hmm. I had to have friends who had the records. Um, 
but I, when I started, it was definitely ZZ Top, status quo. Because I was into like Adam and the Ants and mm-hmm. and, all, and all, all that kind of stuff. And I just got into the heavier music from there. Right. Yeah, and, and status quo is somebody who I first heard because uh, uh, my aunts and uncles would always send a, uh, like, biggest or greatest hits of the year compilation to my folks so they would know what was going on in Spain and most of the stuff I would absolutely hate <laughs> it was all you know uh spanish pop music and then i remember uh one album had um don't look back by boston so like i played the 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 crap out of that song uh but then there was another one that had uh, Whatever You Want by Status Quo. And that was my introduction to them. And years later, uh, when I got to be older and would get to spend the the summers over here with my grandmother, um, the song In the Army Now was was huge. Um, And as you said, I would come back to the States and tell my friends, oh, you got to hear, you know, the latest Status Quo song. They're like... Who's status quo? You know, it just didn't it didn't register because they weren't on MTV. They weren't one of those bands that that you were mentioning. And, you know, conversely, in the States, you know, this is something that um, that 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 I've talked to uh, Mark Striegel about on on several occasions, you know, up until the 90s, a, a lot of the bands that we really enjoy didn't get a whole heck of a lot of airplay on regular radio. It was much like what you're saying. It was like the midnight slot on Fridays. You know, I, I grew up in an area in New Jersey where we had a radio station a mile away from where I lived and the Friday night DJ ended up being Eddie Trunk. He's from the, the same area where, where I'm from. He, he started out as the, um, as the the music news guy and then became the you know the Friday night DJ and outside of that i mean okay so you would hear like come on feel the noise or you would hear round and round by rat uh, and maybe living after midnight by judas priest but that was the extent of it um i remember there was a new york station which no longer exists i i well when I moved from the States over to Europe, uh, they had become a, a talk station, if I'm not mistaken, but they, they were the longest running rock station in New York. It was WNEW. And on Fridays they had a show called things from England and they had a DJ called Scott Muni. And I remember, I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, it was a Friday where my father, for some reason, wasn't working, and I had, I'd gone with him somewhere, and he went into a store, and I said, "I'll just stay in the in the car listening to uh, listening to the radio." And uh, the show comes on things from England and they debuted uh, ACDC's That's the Way I Want My Rock and Roll and Iron Maiden's uh, Can I Play With Magic back to back. And they were saying, well, this is what's popular in the UK this week. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about what, um, 88? It was 87, 88. That's around the time Seven Son of a Seven Son came out. Um 
so I mean, you know, something like that, you know, I went crazy because I was like, wow, I love these bands and they're not normally played on a radio. Obviously fast forward like a decade later and you start to hear run to the Hills and number of the beast and you know, um, other, other things. Oh, ACDC you always got to hear, but, um, so it, it, it is, kind of similar. And, and I also appreciate the whole five channels thing, because when I would come to Spain as a kid, there were two channels. And at 11 o'clock at night, the king would come on, you would see the Spanish flag, and they would play the Spanish national anthem. And you wouldn't have TV until like 9am the next morning. And I couldn't fathom that as a kid who was used to getting up at seven o'clock in the morning to watch cartoons. So <laughs> that's how... Uh Things have changed in, in, in both countries. Um, as far as now, um, you coming familiar, becoming familiar with bands from the national scene, how did, how did that happen? Similar to what you said about asking your friends for, uh, to check out albums or was there a different way that you got into, uh, Irish bands? Same deal. Um, hang around with your friends and Ireland is only there's only like just over 4 million people that live there okay so if a band becomes any way popular at all everybody knows them okay um, the, the national TV station would cover them mm -hmm. if they were a rock band if they were a heavy metal band forget it <laughs> no coverage at all right um what you'll find with some of the bands that I have on I have on the list here, they're from Northern Ireland, so okay. technically they're they're UK bands, mm -hmm. and they were probably looked at a little bit differently as as regards coverage. That the, the UK TV stations would might give them a little bit more coverage than gotcha. the Irish TV stations, right? Um, of course, the biggest band ever out of Ireland and I don't have them on my list because they're not really metal as U2 right mm -hmm. and I I got into U2 early because you kind of force fed these type of bands <laughs> right um, they're all over the radio they're all over the two Irish TV channels that you have mm -hmm. and they champion them a lot right our Irish bands and what I found as I grew up as well was Tin Lizzy were played a little bit mm-hmm Rory Gallagher a little bit, not so much mm -hmm. as he should as he should have been. Right. Um, there's a couple of bands here on the list that were played on and off on radio stations. Okay. But I'm I'm going to get into them because they're they're the kind of '90s bands where the radio started to branch off a little bit. That a lot of smaller stations became legalized before they used to be pirate stations, and there wasn't as many. Um, legal stations as as there was in the 90s mm -hmm. when I think it all became deregulated at some stage and a, a lot of people put up money so that they could form their own radio station and a lot of the DJs that were on the, the RTE one which is the Irish one they started to move from RTE which was like the the, the big it's like ESPN it was right. like the, the be all and end all of, of, of radio mm-hmm they started to move to the smaller channels because the smaller channels now had the backing. It, they had the money to pay the DJs. And because the names started to go to the smaller stations that 
did become more popular. Right. The DJs there were, they had more freedom, I think, to play what they wanted to play. And with more stations, there's more choice. Mm -hmm. It's not like now where some computer picks 50 songs and you have to play the same 50 songs every two hours. Right. Back then, I think you had a lot of DJs that wanted to play a lot more styles of music but they were limited in, in what they could play mm-hmm. based on popularity. Um, they were The RTE station was more of a, I think they were more strict on, on what, what you could play, what you could say. Um, it, it was just a different time back then. Sure. And, and the DJs, they had a lot of power because you're only going to like music if you hear it a lot. Mm-hmm, back right. then you're 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 14 15 years old if you hear the same song 10 times every two hours eventually the song will click in your brain and you'll go yeah i like that mm-hmm. even though there's a there's a thousand other songs that you're never going to hear <laughs> that right. might be better it's, it's just the flavor of the day it, it's, just, it's just the way things were and what was popular in the uk ireland latched onto it okay it, it, that, that's the way it was whatever was big in the uk Either if be it an American act, or be it a UK act, uh, Irish radio just lo- latched on to all of that, mm-hmm. and it it didn't really go the other way as much, because Ireland was a smaller country, and you too did it, mm-hmm. like they were the Irish band that went over to the UK and made it. And the funny thing is, over the years, you'll hear you'll hear these people say, "Oh, you too, they're a UK band," you know, and that that sort of stuff roils up. <laughs> Irish people right. to no end. Yeah, they'll claim they'll claim all these musicians to be from the UK, and that that does annoy a lot of Irish people. It's like, <laughs> you know, we're getting this little bit of the pot. And one of the jokes we used to have when we were growing up is, if the band weren't good, they were Irish. If they were good, they were English. <laughs> right. You know, that's the way. That's the way that that's the way they did it. Yeah. And it, that go, that went to actors and actresses. It went to it went to a lot a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's funny. I, I had a similar conversation um, with my kids. They had to do a, a report recently, and one of my sons picked uh, doing a report on the Statue of Liberty, and he started, you know, rattling off all these facts. And he says, "Well, Liberty State Island, uh, part of New Jersey or part of New York," and then it's like your your typical soundbite of a, of a record just skipping and scratching across. Like, wait a second, that's like a big like. <laughs> That's a that's a sore spot for us. That's technically in New Jersey, although they claim it to be part of New York, but it's in New New Jersey waters. So um, it's it's a similar deal to to what you're saying. You know, when when someone can glom onto it, all of a sudden it's it's theirs. But when it's something that they don't like, it's you know it's Irish. That that uh, figures. Um, That's interesting, everything that you mentioned, at least for me as a music fan, because that's kind of what happened in the States to an extent, because really, if if you think about it, um, during the 90s was the last, like, quote unquote, Wild West like period on terrestrial radio in the States after that, you know, uh, what's iHeart now, Clear Channel before that, and 
I forget what name it was before that, but before corporations started buying up all these stations, you had that where, you know, you'd travel around and you'd say, ah, I want to listen to what's big in, in Philadelphia. You know, we were, I lived in a place in New Jersey where if the clouds were right and it was at night, you could kind of pick up some, some Philadelphia stations. So you could compare that to, to what was being played in New York and it would vary you know, because they would play some, you know, bands that were from their area and you'd get turned on to things that they weren't playing in New York. And, you know, on, on, on a really bad night, if, if it was snowing and the clouds were really low, you could start picking up, you know, stations in Buffalo or Toronto or, or stuff like that. So, you know, those were, those, that's what I would do, you know, to try to get turned on to, um, to different things. Now I, I was talking to my wife once they, when they invented internet radio and you could listen to a lot of these stations, I remember saying to her, let me see how many times I can switch stations before I, before I can find enter Sandman on the radio. It took me, I think like three minutes. It was like the second or third station that I turned to was playing it already. So, um, it, it, it kind of stinks that, you know, worldwide that happened where, uh, where, where stations, uh, went from, you know, having like little niches or individual things to just becoming, as you said, one mundane 50 song station that, um, uh, that a computer picks. We finally got a rock station shortly after I moved here to the area where I live. And I was like, great. Finally, I could listen to a rock station while I'm while I was doing deliveries back then. And wouldn't you know it, smoke on the water, comfortably numb, enter Sandman, uh, you know, what I had grown up listening to on on US radio and what I ended up hating in a lot of ways because you just heard it every two hours. I just you know, I'd, I'd almost rather listen to nothing than just be tortured. So, um, well, Victor, I got off the radio thing when it came to actually sitting down and deliberately listen to the radio. Right. Uh, very, very early. Okay. Especially when I did go headlong into hard rock and metal, because I know I wasn't going to hear any of it. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped listening to radio. And even now, I, I don't listen really to radio that much when it comes to music. Right. It all comes from buying stuff. I, you see, I don't do Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, it all comes from kn knowing the bands that I know, right. maybe but hearing some new bands that are out there, but I'm not hearing that on the radio because the radio doesn't play new bands anyway. Right. It doesn't matter how, how good they are or not. So for me, with radio... I, I, I'm going way back. I haven't really changed my habit, habits at all when it, come, when it comes to radio. And even back then, none of the bands were getting on, on the radio for e interviews even. Mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot of... I, I know, I'm one of the people that will bitch and moan about now that they'll get an, an, an established artist on and they'll give the guy seven minutes. And we talked about this the last time. They won't even mention the new album. Back right. then, the guy wasn't even getting on the radio at all. They wouldn't <laughs> play the song. Um, they, they wouldn't do an interview. Iron Maiden were one of the biggest bands in the UK in the 80s. 
in and the world. Every time they <laughs> they released an album, and every time they released a single, right, it was inev- it was inevitably the highest chart entry that week, <laughs> right. And they would play a snippet of the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would rather get, they would rather play a pop act that probably didn't even get half as high as the Maiden song did and play the, their full song and then play 20 seconds in a Maiden song right. and bury it in, in the show. <laughs> so there, there was always a bias on the radio when it came to metal. It was misunderstood, not liked, un- underground. It was always underground. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, even even the bigger bands in America, they were, they were all underground bands in, in England. Um, and you'd hear some of them over the years in interviews say how how hard it was when they first came to the UK because they'd had their, their feet kissed in, in America. Mm-hmm. Multi-platinum, everybody saying yes to them. They get to the UK and it, the crowd would stand there and say, right, impress me. And, and they, they weren't used to that. They were, they were used to the crowds going wild at all their shows. And some musicians have told me it made them a better band. Mm-hmm. Because they had to fight, they had to fight for it, right? Um, and a lot of that, I think, is where the loyalty comes from when it comes to European European fans with 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 bands, right? Um, if you make the effort to put on a good show and you keep coming back and you're honest, the bands in your the fans in Europe will always love you. They're not as fickle as the American fans, and the radio had something to do with that because these these bands weren't played on the radio. Right. So okay. you had to find them anyway. So there's an investment involved in finding them. So you're already invested in it. It's not It's not something you, like you can click, listen to five seconds of it. I don't like it and go on to something else. Mm-hmm. There was the effort There was the effort to get the concert ticket. You had to queue up to get the ticket. You had to find out when the album was coming out. You had to walk to the store to get the album. You brought the album home. You looked at the liner notes. So there was always that in investment in it. Mm-hmm. And when it, when it came to a lot of the American bands when I was growing up, I never had a chance to see a lot of the bands that I loved because uh, they, never, they never played Ireland. They played the UK a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think before we get into the list... I think I have to talk a little bit about the music scene when it comes to live acts okay. in Ireland. Um, you're dealing with the UK, 50 million people. Right. London has London has twice as many people in it as Ireland does. Mm-hmm. The whole country. And then in Ireland, you're probably looking at four and a half to five million. And at least a million of them, of those who are living in Dublin. You had, I think, about 100,000 maybe in Belfast. And I think you had 120,000 in Cork. And the town I'm in, in Waterford, like 50,000, I think that was like the fifth or sixth biggest city in, in Ireland. Okay. So that, that'll that tell you what where the population was when it came to density. And because, the, because of the population density, it'll tell you how big the venues were. Right. Um, all the bands, if they came to Ireland, they were either going to go to Dublin or they were going to go to Belfast. Right. Right. Uh, I think the King's Hall in Belfast was the, the big venue at the time for for the bigger acts. Um, and then in Dublin, it was the RDS, which I think held about 10, 12,000. And then it, the Point Theatre was, the, was the, the, the big one then as well, uh, which held, I think, about 8,000. And that was an old bus depot. 
<laughs> so you're not talking about you're not talking about state of the art venues here. Right. You're talking about oh yeah, this this is a big big room. <laughs> uh, right. Who cares what the acoustics are like? Mm-hmm. We can get people in, and they got they got people in. Um, but a lot of the bands, you see, how do they join up the dots when they tour? Because in England they can do twelve or fifteen shows mm-hmm. in arenas. In 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 the UK they can play maybe a couple of different nights in London, and then you have Glasgow, and you've got Manchester, Liverpool, Cardiff, um, Newcastle. Um, and you can get a tour up and down the UK. With Ireland, you have to you have to re- remember it's an oil it's an island, right? So you have to, you have to get over there with it. So you're going over water. So you either do it by ferry or you do it by plane, right? You're talking about all the equipment, all the all getting the band over there. When I was growing up, it was a different currency. Mm-hmm. Northern Ireland was sterling, so that's that's the same currency. In the Republic, if you're coming into the Republic to do one show, think of all the headaches to do one show. Yeah. You have different currency. You probably have different rules and regulations setting up the show. Mm-hmm. Insurance costs are probably a little bit different. Um, you, you just have all these logistical problems that you got to deal with. And I think because of that, some of the promoters did they didn't take a chance on a lot of bands that if the band was big and I'm talking about big um, and established Bon Jovi had come every every album they'd tour did one of the shows would be in Ireland right the smaller the smaller acts with smaller venues not a lot of rock rock acts a lot would come um, as meant not no let me rephrase that not as many as I'd like would come. Okay. Uh, we used to get all our information, really, from uh, from English magazines. I didn't live in Dublin. If I lived in Dublin, I think some of the rock venues would have the, the concert posters and all that. Right. You're living a hundred. You're living a hundred miles south in Waterford. Um, none of the music stores carried really any of the posters mm-hmm. that such such a ba- such a band was coming to this, especially a club. You never hear of that. And right. there was probably some concerts over the years that I missed because I just never heard of it. You'd buy Kerrang. Kerrang was the UK magazine. If Kerrang had the tour dates, they'd have all the UK tour dates, Belfast. And if they were playing in Dublin, you'd never hear about the Dublin show. I remember <laughs> I remember there was one I'll give you one example. Um Anthrax on the Stomp four four two tour. Okay. And I'm a big fan. Big fan of Anthrax. Belladonna, love Sound of White Noise, love the Stomp record. Mm-hmm. The day before they played in Dublin, I was one of the guys had it on the, a radio station on in work. Stomp, uh, Anthrax, they're playing the SFX, which is a theater that probably held about 800 people. Okay. They're playing tomorrow night in the SFX, and I'm a fan like a fan fan and I'm living in Dublin at this stage I had no idea the band were playing zero <laughs> right G- got a ticket went to the show and I'd say there was a hundred people at it wow yeah and the, the band were of course they were excellent mm-hmm. uh, you know they opened up with uh, random access census violence then fueled and played all the hits played King Nothing played 
only room for one more. Mm-hmm. But there was there was nobody at it. Um, the, the bands just they, these gigs they weren't advertised as well as as they should have been, and a lot of bands they just they weren't brought over. Um, and Megadeth came, Slayer came, Anthrax came in eighty seven, I think, or eighty eight with, with Metallica. Mm-hmm. I think Metallica came on the. I saw the Metallica on the Black Album tour. I saw them, uh, but a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the smaller acts, and, and even the bigger acts from the UK, from the US, that were multi platinum. The, the likes of Warrant, Winger, Poison, Kingdom Come, uh, all those bands did play the UK. No Ireland show. <laughs> None. As in, and I'm including Belfast. You might be lucky. And the other thing that happened, and it really, it really used to piss us off, and this again goes to advertising, you would see a, sh- a, sh- a tour advertised in the UK. Right. And another example I'll give you is Queensryche. So so Queensryche, the first day of the Empire World Tour was in the SFX Theatre in 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 Dublin, the place I saw Anthrax in. Right. So you okay. have a band, that, or, or Queensryche, I think they were, were they at the arena level for the Operation Mindcrime? album they probably were weren't they in the u.s uh, they were opening up for metallica at that point and for yeah. empire they were definitely uh, arena level mm. so the first show in dublin in a place that probably holds about 800 people lynch mob were on the tour in the uk could because mm. we got kerrang and of course it had queens opening up was lynch mob and huh. lynch mob had just released wicked sensation right so of course w- we were like we, we we were traveling from Waterford. We got the ticket, and the ticket just said Queensrÿch plus support. Right. So we arrive into the venue, and this fucking local band comes out on stage a support act, and we were like, "Oh, you're fucking joking me!" Of course, we'd never seen Dokken, so I'd never seen Lynch and and Mick Brown. Right. And the album. The album was fucking killer. Yeah, and I great. here's me thinking, great, I, I, I'll hopefully get a chance to see Lynch Mob play, and they got a local band instead. And that used to happen actually a lot more regularly than it should have because I think the main band to be brought over, and maybe they didn't want to pay for the higher profile support act, <laughs> so they did put a to cover the cost, you know, to reduce the the risk. Right. So you'd you'd turn up hoping to see a decent support act that you know and you'd end up with this local band instead. <laughs> yeah. And that, that that happened actually quite a lot. And it got to the stage at that it was it was like a bonus really when you turned up and and the band that were actually supporting the UK turned up for the Dublin show. It was like, wow, they're actually here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and again that, that a lot of that was Poor advertising on the radio. Right. Um, poor advertising in the newspapers. Um, and I I probably should have gone out of my way a little bit more to find out where these bands actually going to come over with the main act. Um, but back then, 
I couldn't find out on the internet. There right. was no, the, you know, there was no internet. There was no band website. So it had involved me making phone calls to the promoter or mm-hmm. to the venue. And I, I'm 18 years old. I'm like, <laughs> ah, fuck, fuck it. Yeah. Let's just take a chance and, uh, and hope that they, um, that that the band are going to be there, but you hear I've spoken to some of the musicians that were on the support that, that were the support acts on the tour, right? And uh, they all they all say to me, "We would have loved them to come," but they, they just weren't booked. <laughs> that either what had, what had happened, I think, was if you're coming from the US, so you're, the first stop is Ireland. It's either the first place you land in mm-hmm. and start the tour, or it's the last place you yeah. stop in. To fly back, right? So they join they joined the dots that way. So it might be easier for the support act to fly to England, stay there, and start to get ready for the the fifteen twenty shows in England, mm-hmm. then stop in Ireland, and then having to deal with all that logistical stuff there, and then you got ferries and more planes to UK. That yeah, and then even on the way back, they might say, right, we're all in the UK. We've done twenty shows. We've got all the gear here. Do we want to log all that across the Irish Sea to Dublin for one show? <laughs> or do we just want to fly all back then? And they, right. they probably went, no, nah, let's just head back and we'll get some shitty su- support act to, uh, I'm not saying shitty. I'm That's that's the wrong word. Um, a, a very lower profile support act. <laughs> but a, a lot of, I, I've seen some support acts come out and, the abuse they got it was it was unwarranted <laughs> right but what expected because you had people expecting um the higher profile act support act to come on remember leopard when they played dublin in uh i think it was on the slang tour remember a band called terror vision yes mm-hmm. um they were pretty big in england at the time they had a couple of albums out they were even top of the pops played them um I can't remember that big song they had. I think it was a cover version. I'm trying to remember it. Shit. The name of it escapes me. Yeah, but, I, I just remember the name. I, I don't remember. I remember them getting pressed, like much like Zodiac Mind Warp was like huge and I would read about them, but I didn't know any of the songs. So similar deal. Yeah. Um, They were supporting Leopard. And we get you get you get up to the venue and there's a sign outside Due to, I think, with scheduling conflicts, Terror Vision are unable to play the show. <laughs> right. And I can't, you know, at this stage in 96, I, if that, if I see that sign outside, I'm not even going in for the support act. Right. I'm already, I'm already thinking, ah, fuck. Um, and then the word got back that they missed their ferry. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you, you, you're dealing with all that kind of shit when it comes to an island. Yeah. Um. Some bands aren't feeling it. Some stuff's outside the band's control. Right. Radio, radio not advertising the bands. Radio not playing the bands. Bands are maybe thinking, is it is it even worth it going over mm-hmm. here? The promoters thinking, is it even worth booking them to come? Right. Yeah. Um. And in all of that, you have all these Irish bands trying to do something. <laughs> right. So the first hurdle they're going to come up with. Is right. Where are we gonna? Where where am I gonna get the musicians from? How mm-hmm. big is the pool of musicians that I'm gonna get? Um, and of course you have five million in Ireland. You have fifty million in England. <laughs> right. 
So, so where do you think some of them end up going? Yeah. Vivian Campbell is an example. Yeah. Vivian Campbell ends up being in, and he starts in Sweet Savage. Ronnie James Dio picks him up. Then he ends up doing Shadow King, Def Leppard, mm-hmm. right? R- Rory Gallagher was his own act, really, even though he had a band. But I, you're talking 70s then. And even back then, the 60s and 70s, the, the venues in Ireland were set up for, a lot of them were traditional Irish music and show bands. <laughs> when I mean show bands, I mean, you, you know, cover versions. Right. Um, bands with, you know, stri- string sections, brass sections. Yeah, um, like an orchestra. You know, older, oh, yeah, older folks music. Nothing too... Um, out, nothing too off the off the uh, off the beaten path. Safe, right? A lot of safe stuff that the promoters would book these these bands. They were safe. They were played on the radio over there. The older generation would come and know all their songs. Most of their set would probably be cover versions, but everyone knew mm-hmm. and they'd have a few drinks and have a dance, and everyone would go home happy. Right. You're a new band. Where do you start? <laughs> You're, you, you know. Where do you go? Do you go to Dublin? You go into Dublin. Where are the venues in Dublin that are playing rock music back then? Where do you get a tour going in Ireland? Very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, the population density is not as scattered as it is in the UK. Do you go, do you play in Limerick on a Tuesday night for five people? <laughs> do you go Do you go to Galway on a Wednesday night? You know, and play for six people, mm-hmm. and then. You go to Dublin and hopefully there's two or three hundred people there. Do you have to do the cover version route to start? <laughs> Can, well, do you have a promoter that will allow you to play your own songs? Can you latch on to a big name act? There's not really that many big name acts. Mm-hmm. How, how, how do you get onto, a, onto a, a, sh- a show in Ireland with a big name act from outside Ireland? Can Is that going to happen? Is the is the big name act going to bring over their own support? How can you latch on to that? Was there pay to play back then? These are all things that I'm sure a lot of the musicians had to, had to deal with. Mm-hmm. I'll, give, I'll give you one example, actually, I, I, and because, because I actually know the people that are in the support act. Um, when Rick Allen lost his arm, uh, Joe Elliott moved to Ireland, right. I think, around 86. I'm going to say 85, 86. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, been li- he's been living in Dublin ever since. And the reason he moved, and I think Rick Savage moved at the time, but he, I does, he doesn't live there anymore. They moved for tax reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. That the tax in the UK, the tax rate was so high that it, it and it, a lot of bands did this. They moved abroad and they had to spend so many days abroad a year. Otherwise, they'd have to pay income tax in the UK at, at the extortionate rate. Right. Mm-hmm. So Joe, Joe Elliott moves over here. Uh, the recording hysteria. Uh, they finished the recording. Some of it was done in Holland and some of it was done in Dublin. So they decided to do this uh, pub tour in Ireland. This is, uh, I think, just before the Donington show that Rick Allen played. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's well documented. He broke down crying at, at it because... Uh, Joe Elliott introduced him and the whole crowd went nuts because he, he lost it because of what he'd had to go through to play drums again. Right. Um, so they did the tour in Ireland in, I think it was like five or six pubs. And one of them was Waterford. 
and it was four miles from my house. Um, Katie Riley's kitchen. Um, I didn't go by the way, which is probably the one gig that if anyone asked me what gig I regret more than anything else, it's that one. I, I hadn't discovered Def Leppard yet. Oh wow! And even I remember I remember my father handed me the new the actual local newspaper had it in it, mm-hmm. and my dad knew I was kind of dabbling in that area of music. He said, "Do you know this band Def Leppard?" I said, "No," and he said, "They're playing out in Katie Riley's kitchen," and I'm like, "Nah." I don't really know him. <laughs> I thought you. I thought you might want to go. It's only out the road, so I didn't go. But the people I ended up being great friends with who introduced me to a lot of the other bands, Rat, you know, Metallica, and all that. They were really my teachers when it came to a lot of these bands. Right. These bands, they go, here's this album, but you have to hear this one, and then they tape something and they'd say, right. I'm going to put this Wasp song at the end of the tape because I got five minutes left. Right. And then you'd say, and then you'd say, wow, who are this band Wasp? And then they'd tape Wasp and then they'd say, this Y&T album, Contagious, I'll put the title track at the end of that for you. And mm-hmm. then you go, wow, that album's amazing. So they were really my teachers when it came to a lot of the metal acts. They were in a band and I don't know which one of them did it. I actually must ask them. They wrote to, it must, they must have wrote to Q Prime. And they asked, could they support Def Leppard in Katie Riley's kitchen? Hmm. And these guys were like 18, 19. Right. If that. And I remember the guitar player was a good friend of mine. He had a letter from Joe, handwritten by Joe Elliott. Thank you for the interest in doing the gig, blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember exactly what it was in the letter, but I do remember seeing the letter and it had signed by Joe Elliott. Um, I think there might have been a phone number in it to call that if there was no support act, we'd be glad to have you open up for us. Oh, wow. um, which, and this is another reason why I kick myself for not going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I think a lot of local acts probably had to go that route. Right. Um, you had to kind of get your foot in the door yourself to push yourself. You had to self-promote yourself. A lot of it was done by word of mouth. And you hear all these stories about all these bands on the Sunset Strip hanging up the flyers and all that. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's universal, to be honest. you got to just get out there and, and tread the boards and, and try your best. But the system in Ireland at the time, when it came to rock bands being conducive to that sort of music, I think it was very difficult if you're a local act. Um. I'm sure there was a lot of local acts that were really, really good. Right. And they went nowhere because the machine wasn't there Mm -hmm. to support them. And I'm sure a lot of them, I'm sure a lot of conversations were had in living rooms amongst all of them. Uh, We got to move to England if we're (laughs) going to go anywhere. Right. And 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 I'm sure that people in the business in Ireland probably told them the same thing. And, I'm sure more most bands up more often than not. All it took was one or two of them to say, "No, I'm not going to do it," mm-hmm. um, and they split up. Right. Which is which, which I think is why when you ask me to name f- five big, you know, bands from Ireland, it's a, ten times easier to do that than if you had to say to me, "Name five bands from the UK." <laughs> Uh, because there's fucking thousands of them. Right, right. And a lot of the bands that are known for being in the UK, a lot of them have 
members that are from Ireland. Right. Of course, one one of them is you're you're a fan of, and I am is the Almighty. Right. Ricky Warwick's from Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Moore's from Northern Ireland. I know he ended up in Tin Lizzy and he had a solo career, but you know, he's another one that he had to go to the England to make his bread and butter. Right. You know, so I'm. I'm rambling on here, Victor. Pull me back in. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is all this is all fascinating to me and and a lot of it, you know, I see the similarities of what what happened when I moved here to Spain with hearing uh, you know, talking to bands and and similar to what you're saying about bands needing to go to the UK, going to London or going to Manchester or or, or things like that or, or Liverpool even. Um it's much the same as, you know, bands moving out to L.A. in the U.S., you know, or, or trying New York or trying a, another area that was maybe a hotbed at the time. So, I, you know, it's 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 a common thread everywhere, a lot of the stuff that you're saying. So um, I, I appreciate hearing it and learning, you know, about it because, you know, like yourself, I'm, I'm a fan of of the music and uh and it's just interesting to hear what went on uh, what actually went on because like you're saying you know a lot of this stuff is watered down and it's told the way that they want to tell it and it isn't always factual to to what happened because again you know gary moore's from northern ireland well if you talk to the casual um you know gary moore fan no he's british well yeah but Britain is technically, you know, five countries plus Ireland, you know, if, if you, well, even that is insulting to people. But uh, what, what I'm getting at is, is, is the, the, the countries that make up the UK, I'm sure that there's someone in Wales, someone like a Philip Campbell who came from Wales, who will say, well, I'm actually from Cardiff, you know, as opposed to saying, no, I'm from London, you know, but they had to, they had to get there to, to, to make something of themselves. And there's so many bands that are like that. So I, I appreciate what you're saying. The other, the other thing you have to remember, Victor, we're talking about Gary Moore and Vivian Campbell. Yeah. They're living in Northern Ireland. It's a lot easier for them to just move to the UK because right. they're already living in the UK. Right. You're in Ireland. Irish passport. Yeah. All different. You know, when it comes to paperwork and and you could you might have, you need visas and and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you're an Irish musician from the Republic, and you want to move to the UK, I think there was a, a lot. There was more hurdles there. Yeah. And of course, what you could be a, a big deal in Ireland. But the minute you move over to the UK, you're a small fish in a very big pond. Right. <laughs> and it's like a, it's like musicians in the US when they all went to LA. Right. You know, they might be a big deal in in Philadelphia, but when they when the band moves out to LA, there's a thousand bands that are as good as them, if not better, and right. it, they have to fight for it. And it all comes down to your personality. Then, how far are you willing to go to make it? Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, I I got five bands here. Okay. The thing with the the thing with the five bands, that I noticed after I wrote down the list, um, some of them aren't even really active anymore. Okay, that's so, fine. So their their flame burned for a couple of years, and then it it died for for various reasons, and one or two of them are still out there slogging it. 
They had okay. their moment of fame years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still living off of that. And if they're still bringing out new music, hats off to them. You know, there's not, they're, good, they're good bands. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that all of these bands on my list that I'm a huge fan of. Okay. And it's, it, it, it's not because I just stopped listening to Irish bands years ago. I kind of picked and choose what I liked. Right. Um, and if the, if the band didn't hang around long enough, um, I didn't really stick with them. Okay. Because why would you stick with them? They're, they're broken up. And then a couple of these bands came out in the 90s. And the 90s for me were a funny time for music. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of the music that I loved in the 80s uh, being written off as being shit. Right. So it, it didn't matter whether this band were Irish or not. The minute I was told what they sounded like, I lumped them all in with the rest of them. I went, nah, I don't know if I'm really going to like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had the magazines loving all these bands. Um, and I didn't like the magazines anymore, so it mm-hmm. didn't matter where they were from. I was, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Right. Um, so uh, the first band I'm going to mention and I don't even have these in chronological order from when they formed and stuff. I just made up a list of five bands. Okay. Uh, a band called No Sweat. There was big things expected of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Elliott was the guy who championed them. And he, you'll find he, he's got fingerprints in a lot of acts okay. that are Irish because Joe lives there. He's a massive music fan. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think if Joe likes a band and he, ha- he has the influence and the name, he helps them out. Um, Ricky Warwick is one guy. He's great friends with Ricky. Right. Um, Ricky has mentioned Joe Elliott a lot. I think he's done he's done work in Joe's studio, which is in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been friends for a, lo- a long time. But this band called No Sweat were the late 80s, early 90s. They're a melodic hard rock band. And they had a big song called Heart and Soul. When I say big, big in Ireland. <laughs> right. The, the, radio, the radio actually played these guys. Um, and I'm sure a lot of that was because they had Joe Elliott's backing at the time. And Def Leppard were a big band. Right. And what you find in Ireland, especially when, when a musician is big, because the country is so small, anything they say resonates mm-hmm. um, especially if they're still living there <laughs> um, so Joe would appear on RTE I think they had this quiz show that was uh, like a pop based show and I know for a while Joe was one of the captains on that oh, okay so Joe would be Joe would be on it every week um, he'd be interviewed here there and everywhere because he lived there mm-hmm. um, so he pushed this band and Heart and Soul was the big song. They, they, they brought out an album on London Records. Uh, Keith Olsen produced it. Oh, wow. Big okay. name producer. Yeah. Um, but there was, they were a big fish, or they were a small fish in a very big pond. Right. And you're mm-hmm. talking 90. And that scene was really dying soon after. Uh, so they were, a, they were a couple of years too late. I remember Joe was raving for ages about Paul Quinn, the singer, saying how good a singer he was. And he was a great singer. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with this band was this sounded like a lot of other bands. Right. Um, 
so it didn't matter where they were from. I didn't hear the Irish influence in their music that much that you, you would with Tin Lizzy. Mm-hmm. Um, they had that Celtic influence. Personally, I didn't hear it in this. It was like, let's go over to Goodnight LA. Let's get Keith Olsen to produce the record. Radio-friendly hard rock album. Right. Uh, how are we going to make it stand out from every other hard rock album that's coming out at the time? Uh, well, it has to stand on its own merits. There's nothing we can really point to that has, oh yeah, this is full of Irish Celtic influences. Mm-hmm. There, there was none of that. So this band were one and done um, uh, after that record. But the album is pretty good. Um, it didn't set the world alight. It's not an album I listened to a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. To be honest, it's of the time, uh, but they were pr- they were a pretty decent band, made a pretty pretty big splash in Ireland at the time, but in the UK next to nothing really. There was too many other bands that sounded the same right. as them, mm-hmm. and, and in America, in America, forget it. Yeah, forget <laughs> it. Um, the second band and is Curb Dog. Okay, uh, they're from Kilkenny, which is. Probably about seventy miles uh, south of um, Dublin. So Kilkenny's you're probably looking at twenty, I'm guessing here, twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um they had two albums on Mercury Records in the mid nineties. Okay. Karang Karang loved them. Absolutely loved them. They were a three piece band. Uh, they didn't really rock my boat though, because I said before mid 90s three piece Nirvana, I'm thinking Nirvana like right <laughs> um, no guitar solos um they were they were good uh they made a, a a reasonable splash I think in 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 the UK um the magazines were picking them up and stuff but longevity no um I think Cormac Battle was the, the singer, guitar player in the band. I think he went on to have a, a career as a DJ. Okay. And I think they do they do play sporadic shows here and there. They're they're a good band, mm-hmm. but they're not they're not a band I ever went out of my way to. Oh yeah, I have to go see Curve Dog or I have to get the new Curve Dog record. <laughs> um, I, it was just a confusing time for music for me. Right. Um, but th- th- that's the second band. Now the third band. You definitely know this band is Therapy. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got to see them uh, on the Trouble Gum tour. In, and that's their biggest record in, in the Olympia Theatre. And there's probably a thousand people that fills the Olympia. And, and they sold it out. And I think for a couple of years there, they were regular, they'd regularly play that and do well. Mm-hmm. And they definitely made a splash in England. Right. Um. But it was it was just over a couple of year period. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Andy Cairns was the, the, the singer and the guitar player, uh, Michael McKeegan the bass player, and Fife Ewing. They were a, they were a three piece band, but they 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 were like a punk metal hybrid. Yeah, they they were a mix of a bunch of different things. Because I remember when they came out. Um, I don't remember what their first two signals were in the States, but I remember it was really something out there that was, you know, wasn't the norm of what I was hearing on hard rock and, and metal. Uh, the, the one song that, and it's probably my favorite song from them that really clicked with me is, is Screamager. Um, yeah, that, that's on that album. Trouble yeah. 
So I, I think Nurse may have been the first song. I, I, I forget. Um, but they were, yeah, they, I mean, they got to work with Ozzy. They got to work with, they were on the Judgment Night soundtrack with a, a reasonably big, a reasonably big uh, hip-hop uh, uh, artist as well. So, so they were, I mean, in the States, they... They were pretty well known. Uh, well, not pretty well known, but they were they were a known commodity, you know. Where it wasn't like a, I don't know, a, a band that you know you really love, but they really don't. Well, for example, the Almighty. The Almighty is a band that I always loved, but they never really made a huge splash in the states. Therapy got on college radio therapy got on headbangers ball they got on you know soundtracks and and different compilations and and things like that so they i would say that they made a much bigger splash than than someone like the almighty did i'd love the almighty a lot more but the facts are the facts the therapy was a much uh, a much more well-known act at the time mm. and therapy played donnington with metallica Wow, I think they played Don. I think they played Donington more than once. Hmm. So they they had over a couple of years there a, a decent level of success. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were one of these crossover bands. I I think that they were metal enough for the metal fans to get, and right. punk enough for the punk fans to latch onto right. as well. I think the Almighty were more rock, hard rock. Yes, met, metal. I I think that they were. I think therapy's music was probably a little bit more accessible. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it was better. It, they, they, the songs were definitely suited for singles. They were two or three minutes long. Right. Uh, don't don't bore us. Get to the chorus. No guitar <laughs> solo and and done. Right. Um, I, I think the the Infernal Love album in '95 that that came out after Trouble Gum. I think that it was a, a, a little bit of a radical change that. I think people wanted more of the same and, and they didn't get it. Right. And then in, in the 90s, because it was so it was such a confusing time, bands were confused as well. It was like, right. okay, what do we need? Like, we had success last year. Do we do, we do that again? With it? And the musical climate's changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Do we try to be something else? And and they, they released albums after that, but not, nothing... Uh, no, nothing nowhere near as big as as the Trouble Gum record. Right. Um, the music might have been as good, if not better, but people just weren't listening back then. Right. Uh, I think they still play shows and and release albums, but I haven't bought anything from Therapy in in a long time. And I remember a couple of years ago, I think they were playing Trouble Gum in its entirety. So it's like it's like any band. Go back to the well. <laughs> uh, play, play what people want. Play what people expect. Yeah, um, they, I think that record's probably only about forty minutes anyway. Right. Yeah. They they just uh, last year they released an album where they re-recorded all of their like bigger known hits, and I remember listening listening to it, and I was like, wow, you know. Uh, as much as I, you know, initially didn't get the band, I understood the energy. I understood that it was something different. And then listening to this re-record, it was like, eh, this is just kind of like no energy. Just kind of, just see, it seems like they were paid to do it, and there was like little effort put forward, in, in my opinion. And it's it's hard to, you know, take the place of something that you hear for the first time. And you really think that it's it's out there, and once it clicks, 
you know, it, it's 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 hard to overcome that with a rehash. It's it's one thing to have like a live rendition of it. There's another thing to just completely go into the studio and redo it. And uh, you know, it, it, well, you brought up the Lynch Mob album before. You know that that re-release of Wicked Sensation last year. How how well did that go over? <laughs> uh, unless you're a, a Lynch fanatic, yeah, who, who believes everything he brings out is absolutely tremendous, and how dare you criticize him? Yeah. Uh, you're, you probably thought it wasn't great. Yeah. But, but that that's another rabbit hole we can go down. That's yes. another conversation for yes. another time. Yes. S- save that one. Yes. Two. Uh, <laughs> Let's go with your band. last two. <laughs> fourth band. Yeah. The, the Answer. Okay. Really good band from Northern Ireland. Uh, still going. Mm-hmm. Uh, they toured... I think their biggest break was touring with ACDC on the Black Ice album. Okay. They did a, a lot of shows with them. They're just a st- really good straight up rock at rock band, great singer. Um, it just hasn't happened for them. Right. I think they've got a, they've got a certain level of success. And then I don't know whether that's their ceiling now. It maybe is, but they've never... Plateau, you know, they might have plateaued and they've never really broken through. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure the ACDC tour was great for them, but you're dealing with a, an audience that only really want to hear ACDC. Right. Yeah, that a- they're, they're a band that are notorious for having support acts uh, get booed and, yeah. you know, the, the audience practically turning their back to them. And I, I've, I've interviewed guys in King's X and I saw King's X support ACDC on the Razor's Edge tour and the Dublin show they went over really well Mm -hmm. and then one of the band members was telling me when they got to Germany the abuse they got was unbelievable that oh wow yeah one of the things they said they got thrown on the stage at them was a toilet brush wow yeah (laughs) so they had coins thrown at them toilet brush thrown at them spat at (laughs) Um, and I don't. I, I I'm sure the answer probably went over better than it. King's right. X because they sound a little bit more like ACDC. But right. That's a great bill on one hand for them, but man, that's a tough crowd. Right. Absolutely. Um. Uh. But they're a band that classic rock love. They've got some level of commercial radio play. Right. Um. But they've never really you know, gone, gone to the next level mm-hmm. and they should have done because they're, they're just a really good band. And, but there's a lot of bands like that, that they're really good. And for 99 reasons, they just never get, they never break. Yeah. You know, we could go through all 99 reasons and it could all apply to the answer, but <laughs> um, that they just, it just never happened for them. Right. Um, they're a band actually that have been pitched to me once or twice. And I probably should have gone after him. And I don't know for whatever reason, I've never tried to get an interview with one of them. It's probably something I should rectify uh, if, if they come up again. But, you know, good, good, solid band. Mm-hmm. Um, the fifth band, and this is, a, this is going back a bit now. This is the oldest band that I have on the list. And this must be, must be a band that you heard of. And I'm interested to know that you hear of this band when you were getting into metal in the US 
and okay. the band is Mama's Boys. Okay. <laughs> when when did you hear about Mama's Boys, or uh, did you? Uh, I'll tell you when I heard of Mama's Boys because um, um, uh, Quiet Riot released their cover of Mama We're All Crazy Now. And I remember at the time, there's um, a cousin of mine who's always uh, chiming in when I do my live shows on Friday nights. And I remember him and his brother saying, you don't know the Mama's Boys? Uh cover of that song it's so much better it's heavier than the quiet riot version um they lived in puerto rico so they got to hear that whereas in the states i had never heard of mama's boys and later on of course when i started coming over uh to spain the vacation you'd pick up metal hammer or uh like other magazines that were similar here in spain and of course, I'd start to read articles about them. But until then, I had never heard them in the U.S. Yeah. Three brothers, Pat, Tommy, and John McManus. Uh, great bluesy hard rock band. Right. That the label's got a handle on and changed them. you got to be more commercial. you got to get a singer in. Um, they had all the talent in the world and... Of course, tragedy struck because Tommy, the drummer, got leukemia mm-hmm. um, and passed away in, when did he pass away? In 94. Okay. Uh, did, did it all the big tours. Uh, they toured with Tin Lizzy mm-hmm. on their farewell tour. They toured with Bon Jovi, Rush, Rat, Twisted Sister. Re- just a really, really good band. Right. That the label tried to change too much and make him like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you become like everybody else, you, you, you're, you're, you're either, you're changing your sound for the better or you're changing your sound for the worse. And right. I think these, these guys changed it for the worse. Um, but they were, they were a really excellent band and like a band with three brothers is in it. Like that's practically, unheard of right you know not only do you have the chemistry as musicians you got the chemistry gene pool mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh they just never broke i'm trying to think of what album it was it was growing up the hard way uh it was 87 and then they had power and the passion i think was 85 and they were the ones where they really started to veer in the commercial direction and yeah, didn't happen. High profile tours and a label that didn't really know what, how good a band they had. Yeah, those those out or those bands that they supported. I mean, you couldn't get. You know, there are few few bands within the genre that were bigger than that. And like you said, Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi's still big <laughs> in the uh, uh, all over. Europe, basically, you know, regardless of how crappy of an album they may put out, they're still one of the biggest touring acts outside of the U.S. They're still a reasonably big act in the U.S., but they're much bigger outside of the U.S. still. So to have that, to have Twisted Sister, to have, you know, Rat and some of the other uh, bands that you mentioned for them to open for, I mean, there's... 
it's it's difficult to not end up being well look at a band like a tesla for example who early on got to open up for a lot of reasonably well-known acts and all these years later whether you like all their music or not there's still a band that makes it out on the you know festival scene and has has a, a decent following still um but it's not a band that their label really tried to screw with their sound because as you're saying, once that starts to happen and you kind of come back to the, to the pack, there's, there's a million bands doing the same thing. And it's even hard to get one song on the radio or for people to, you know, remember that one video. Whereas, you know, the bands that are originally doing that stuff, the Bon Jovi's that are doing a lot of that stuff initially are still getting all the same glory that they were getting before. And, a lot of the copycats are just being, you know, forgotten about and they go by the wayside. Mm. I think there's a fine line between looking after your existing fan base mm-hmm. and changing a little bit to get a new fan base and completely alienating your, your existing fan base and not getting a new one. Right. At all. And a lot of bands have done the second one. Mm hmm. Yeah, you had a great blues hard rock band in Mama's Boys, and then the label decided, right, we're going to really Americanize them up, make them more commercial. Mm-hmm. And the existing fan base went, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. And the <laughs> fan base that they hoped to get went, "That ah, is, nine hundred ninety-nine other bands sound like this band anyway." Right. And that's, I think, that's what happened with these guys, and it happened with a lot of bands. I'm not saying that this is just, no. you know, a Mama's Boys story. It, it isn't because. A lot. A lot of Eng- a lot of English hard rock bands. Um they definitely try to Americanize their sound. Right. Especially in the in the mid to late eighties. Um are they did they com- are they complete they were they either completely copied the image mm-hmm. of the hair metal scene or they just ad- completely adopted the sheen and the polish. It's like we have this sound. What producer can I get in that did this massive album in America to make your next album sound right like that exactly the same yeah and yeah so that happened over and over and over again um and then i think either the bands broke up or they went and they formed some other band like thunder did from terraplane mm-hmm. i think luke morley and danny bowes did, did tell you that they were going in a direction they didn't like and they said we are big fans of bad company and free and we're going to form this band Thunder and we're, that's the sound that we want to do. We don't want any of the big name producers in to do it. And Thunder have been one of the bands that have, have had a level of success doing what they do. They were stubborn about it and they were a really, really good band. Mm-hmm. But for every for every Thunder, there's a load of other bands that they did tow the company line. And then the company just said, right, you're not selling anything uh, next. Right. Well... The, the other day you posted a picture of yourself, if I remember correctly, holding uh, Fastways on Target. How much yeah. did on Target change from the last thing they had recorded with Dave King was that Trick or Treat soundtrack. Um, before that was Waiting for the Roar, which was a departure from the first two albums. But on Target was a complete Bon Jovi, you know, let's go for that Bon Jovi crowd sound. Yeah, it's it's like you, I put on Ace of Spades, mm-hmm. right? And then I'd put on that Fastway record and say, 
the guitarist on the two of them, that's the same guy. <laughs> and the same tell guy. You, yeah. no, no fucking way is it. Like, <laughs> the, the guitar sound on, on Target is so Def Leppard. Right. Oh, my God. Well, I, and I hadn't listened to that album in years. Mm-hmm. And I played it and I was like, oh, my God. It's, it's like, here's Hysteria. Here's the sound on Hysteria. And right. then just put Fastway on the cover. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's not an easy listen for me to listen. I, I, I liked it a lot more back then than I do now. Because right. it's, so, it's so dated. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And there's other bands like that. Um, FM is one, another band that they sheened up their sound. They're on Epic Records. Um, and eventually they dis- rediscovered their blues rock roots. Right. A lot of that, a lot of that was probably because the budgets that they couldn't afford the the slick production. But you look at their first record, Indiscreet. It's just hair metal, like pure pop hair metal. Right. And then further down the line, they they went to the blues your hard rock direction that they they're more known for now. But it's so many English bands back then were uh, just trying to make it, listening to people making tell them that they should do this when deep down they knew that they were selling their soul in a way mm-hmm. um, and then they were a small fish in the label and it didn't work and they got dropped and then they got out of the business and some of them tried to make it again when the melodic rock circuit came back it the likes of Firefest right. would bring bands back like another English band would be Romeo's Daughter mm-hmm. Um like there's so many bands you'd forget about over the years and they play the odd show now that the market has kind come back a little bit for them. Right. Um, where people remember who they are. Um, nostalgia is a lot of that. But I'm not seeing no sweat playing any shows when it comes to the Irish bands. It's they break up. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, Mama's Boys, they, they won't do a show now because... Because Tommy passed away, and I, which you have to admire. Um, you can be sure some festivals over the years have, have probably asked them right. for a Mama's Boys reunion, and it probably wouldn't take much to uh, to get out there and do a show here or there, but they just won't do it. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 